and welcome to episode 106 of Attention Plus with Arnab Ray, recorded on the 8th of November 2020 India time. I am Vikram Mohan, asking you to also check out some of the other podcasts from Forcepire. The latest binge on has four English movies that have a twist in the tale, surprise endings. And uh, WhatsApp Geeks has the latest from the world of tech. You can check them both out at forcepire.net. That's the number four, S-P-I-R-E dot net. And now back to our podcast and your host. Hey, Arnab. Hello, Vikram. Arnab, so something amazing obviously happened, uh, which explains why I and many, many others around the world are in such a great mood. Of course, I'm talking about uh, SRH making it to the qualifiers. I'm sure mm-hmm. the entire US is also celebrating that. Of course, there's uh, so many, so many SRH supporters in the US, virtually absolutely. every Indian here is the only, from that region. Yes. The only thing is, some of your SRH supporters don't seem to like Orange, whereas we are in Team Orange. But yes. <laughs> let's... So yeah. I don't think it will be very good for orange either. But but uh, but again, one <laughs> one thing that I wanted to ask you, since you said, what were the four uh, movies that had have a twist ending? Uh, we ha- I had uh, Vanilla Sky, uh, Fallen, Denzel Washington's. Uh, Raj had a Fractured, which I have not seen, and the Book of Eli, which again I have not seen. Mine hmm. were Vanilla Sky and uh, uh, Fallen. And and why not? I mean, what what's the definition of a twist ending? Uh, you know, one of those movies which in the, in the third act you have a, something which changes everything or, you know, like Sixth Sense, for example. Okay. And, and why wasn't, let's say, Usual Suspects or... Uh... Those are obvious. We usually try to avoid the obvious ones. I mean, this is okay. not a top four or something. This is things which are available online. And we even when we do anything, we try to avoid the obvious picks. Assuming people have seen is, is 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 Maloland Drive considered to be too obvious? I, I, I okay, so uh, Maloland Drive was something which I had in my shortlist and I had also uh, kind of you know uh, uh, put my put a hanky on it. Uh, it was not available for uh, watching in India, so I also have this rule that it, at least it should be available for uh, online viewing in India. And so, there is another movie called Twelve Monkeys. Yes. Oh, beautiful one. Yes. Yes. So, so many. I mean, this is a theme which we could revisit so often. Uh, yeah. Uh, 12 Monkeys is one of my all-time favorites and one of my favorite Brad Pitt. Hands down my favorite Brad Pitt performance, certainly. Uh-huh. Anyway, so, uh, uh, but before we go on, I also wanted to make one request. Please be considerate when making your fantasy team for the next two matches. Uh, so that's an SR supporter. And also uh, a request to our uh, listeners. There is somebody on Twitter who mentioned that there's an art artist called Sunil Pal, an uh, old gentleman who's uh, apparently been abandoned by his kids and who sells his beautiful, I mean, the art looks lovely. And he sits in front of the Axis Bank in, is it Gold Park or GOI Park? Gold Park. Gold Park. Gold Park on Wednesday and Saturday. So it would be great if any of you could, uh, you know, next time you are by gold park on wednesday or saturday check out his artwork and see if we can do something to make this year better for him so yes Anna, my, uh, before you start again dcsr i'm not going to ask you to make a prediction because i have a feeling i won't like the answer but what i want to ask you is between dc and srh which team has a better shot at beating mumbai none of them at this point of time none of them uh, it doesn't yes. it's this is this is just like uh, what used to be for CSK, all that, all the other right. teams competing for who gets a chance to be, get get beaten by CSK. 
So I don't think any of them. Again, cricket is a as as the cliche goes, is a game of glorious uncertainties. Right. But when 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 Ambani is is involved, there is no glorious uncertainty, unfortunately. And and that is that the, the only certainty at the end is that you will face death or you will face Ambani or possibly both. <laughs> um, so I I don't I don't see that. Uh, and this is all this is all credit to Mumbai. I mean, I'm being flip here, but. Mumbai yes. Indians has yes. has been a has been a tremendous franchise, and I and I say this um, with a lot of envy, being a Kolkata Knight Riders fan, because you know the contrast between Mumbai Indians and Kolkata Knight Riders could not be more stark in terms of in terms of the history. And this is not just you know rant of a fan, but it's also something interesting for people who want to see what makes. And this is this is one of my you know side projects is that i try to look at successful people and unsuccessful people successful businesses unsuccessful businesses successful teams and unsuccessful teams to understand what is it that makes is there is there any kind of pattern or is it just all randomness um and some of it of course is randomness but some of it is and and and, and i i can't deconstruct everything about it but there is so one of the things that you will notice about the successful franchises and this is you know applies not just to mumbai indians but also to chennai super kings is that they take they take unknown indian players and they build them up into superstars and nobody can create a franchise by buying ready made superstars for two reasons first of all they're very expensive if you buy one of them you can't buy anybody else and you're left with the rinku singhs of the world and the second thing is that if you buy a superstar in an auction it's usually when the superstar is on his way down it's never the other way around so in this so as an example chennai super kings buying kedar jadhav i wouldn't call kedar jadhav a superstar but when he was bought by chennai super kings his whatever career that he had was already on kind of on the downswing i mean he was at his peak at that point of time and within one year he was going to go down but look at mumbai indians in in order for us to uh look at the, the super success they have been in and, and remember that mumbai indians didn't start off particularly well uh when they first made their team so it took them quite a f- uh, so they were they were pretty i mean they had a pretty bad first ipl they had a pretty bad second ipl also so they ultimately built themselves so it's not that they got it right on the first go which is what chennai super kings did they pretty much got it right the first time they went to the auction table and they basically built upon it and every other franchise which didn't get it right had to live with the uh the technical debt as we software engineers like to call it for for decades after what they accrued on that first first night at the auction table but see the uniqueness of uh mumbai indians is that they have i mean look at their players look at their superstar players rohit sharma you can say that they bought when he was pretty much a superstar in t20 he, they bought him from the erstwhile deccan chargers yes but jaspreet bumrah he was nobody when he started playing for mumbai indians the the pandya brothers nobody uh surya kumar yadav was <laughs> practically a nobody when he started playing for mumbai in, indians in fact there was this, many... uh, one uh, photo somebody had posted on twitter uh, on of the auction where they bought uh, uh, pandya and uh, he didn't even have they a didn't... photograph Okay, did they buy Pandya? I thought that uh, I, I thought they recruited him too, but uh, yeah, Hardik not Hardik. Uh, uh, Krunal. 
Kunal. Kunal. Yes. yes. Hardik wasn't bought. Hardik was one of those guys they recruits. get like recruits. Yes. Yes. So he's he's that's that's he that's what defines a franchise. If you make one player can become somebody, you can say okay, well that player was a lucky guess, but not so many. And the reason why Mumbai Indians is what it is is because it has a core of these players that. um that 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 they built themselves they didn't get it from somebody else um take the example of say somebody like kyron pollard so kyron pollard is a very very good t20 player but he's had you know he has had dips in his career now most other franchises would have let him go 2 years ago the the, the and I'll contrast this to kkr with narayan Narayan's problem is the Narayan is a great player also, but Narayan chucks. He chucks, and it's only it's only, Narayan chucks, and Andre Russell has serious serious issues. If you if you follow his career, he he's no he no longer can bowl. He has fitness issues. He is so. Why I'm not saying that anybody would let him go, even though but but he is kind of approaching an Yusuf Pathan level um, at this point of time. but with narayan any other franchise would have let him go the first time he had bowling issues because once you have that at his age when it was discovered there's no coming back from that you just cannot reinvent yourself because bowling is such a conditioned reflex that you just cannot and that's really what happens when he makes an effort he chucks again and KKR had a chance. Yes, he 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 reinvented himself with his batting, but that was never really the reason why he was in the team. Not the amount of money which he was consuming. Um, and what did Kolkata Knight Riders do? They replaced him with another guy who also has a chucking problem. But anyways, so, but but the thing with and that was distinguishes, let's say, Kolkata Knight Riders from a Mumbai Indians is that Kolkata Knight Riders is a place where essentially careers go to die, uh, like Yusuf Pathan's. <laughs> or uh it's a place where they have uh you know or a place where they first buy someone uh and like surya kumar yadav and they play him in the wrong position for 3 years and even though he did have some decent knocks what did they do rather than saying look this guy looks good maybe we haven't been putting him in the best position they let him go they could have used their right to match on surya kumar yadav they while you can argue that you know he was not that good to be retained they could have used the right to match on him but who did they use the right to match on instead juhi chawla i'm sorry piyush chawla <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> so and again piyush chawla is increasing nowadays looking like juhi chawla actually <laughs> so who did they use it on him at when his career was on the downswing rather than investing in in surya kumar yadav who they to their credit had was the first it was the first franchise to have seen something in him to buy him and he hadn't done very badly he hadn't done great either but it was just the position that he was playing in and rather than sticking to him sticking with him i'm sorry they decided to let him go and 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 i know that people want me to talk about the us elections but since i'm on it 
if you want to look at another uh, loser franchise look no further than bangalore they had they had their different points of time they let people like kl rahul go they they decide that they are going to keep surfraz they retain surfraz and then don't play him so this this kind of and again if you look at bangalore they haven't created a single indian player they haven't and it's true of kolkata night riders also that they haven't created a single right. and look at the number of players that mumbai indians has created look at the number of people that chennai super kings have made i mean ashwin was yes. a nobody when he started playing for them um even somebody like akshar patel was nobody when he started playing from king for kings 11 punjab so many other teams they have um and again of course a disaster in this respect was always delhi daredevils um i mean they saw they saw uh, you know they saw a spark in tejasvi yadav uh, which, which which again i, I understand that he's <laughs> not selected for cricketing reasons but uh, but i'm saying in terms of their selection but kolkata the night riders as long as it's going to be run by a person who has zero respect for cricket as long as you know a guy who comes from the insurance industry he has so for instance um, when harry gurney got injured who do they select in his stead ali khan okay some pakistani uh, you know pakistani american bowler who plays for their franchise in uh, in caribbean premier league because this guy wants to cross brand so the problem with kolkata night riders has always been that because of the presence of shahrukh khan their revenue does not come from winning their revenue essentially comes from shahrukh khan as a brand ambassador so unlike other franchises whose sole purpose is that they get paid if the franchise wins kolkata night riders is quite okay with you know who cares they are more concerned about things like cross branding you know all the kinds of stuff that yeah. uh, you know managers like to talk about in fact i read is, somewhere that uh, kkr was the first uh, franchise to, to achieve cash flow positive yes and that's purely because of shahrukh khan right there is no other reason that uh, i mean that's the only advantage that kkr has over every other franchise that their main product is their owner and he is a very valuable product but first of all shahrukh khan's brand image you know the, the the value of his brand is going to go down also this is not the same shahrukh khan as he was in 2008 but regardless the problem with this franchise is that it is solely solely focused on monetizing and cashing out on that brand so you have the guy who heads kolkata night riders venki mysore who's also the head of their caribbean premier league franchise as well as the head of red chilies entertainment so how do you expect a person who runs let's say red chilies which has zero interest in the cinematic quality of what they produce right it is all about money how do you expect that person to show even a little bit of passion for something like cricket how do you expect them to even think of the passion of the fan they don't really care they really really don't give a flying fuck otherwise nobody in their right mind would have selected ali khan um they they just wouldn't have and the difference between you would say well what is it with ambani well it's different with ambani with ambani the thing is that given that he is insanely rich you know his brand is a brand that wins i mean in a way <laughs> vijay malle also understood that he tried but you know he he had his problems he's no he's no ambani 
but uh, um, with with ambani's the main thing is they're so focused on winning as their personal brand and their personal signature they cannot be seen to lose so for them winning is a very personal thing and they're used to winning you know in life as in business and in everything else winning is a habit when they say it it's it's not it, it, it's not a bumper sticker winning is a habit and you can see how mukesh ambani takes his you know winning in business and you know he also runs a super successful franchise and it's super successful not just because it is won four titles and is close to winning a fifth it's super successful because of the players that it has created that's why i mean now they've created ishan kishan so there are basically two teams that mumbai indians can basically field two teams and be the one on two in 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 ipl at this point of time um navi mumbai indians they can launch uh, yes <laughs> they can launch a second mumbai indians they can uh, but you know no other team even comes close uh, to that chennai super kings also has i would say is 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 number 2 after them and it's reflected in their in, in the number of titles they have and you know kolkata night riders should consider themselves lucky that they've won it twice they really don't deserve to win even once but you know at one point of time they did okay but to... aren't you being a bit too hard on kkr i understand i mean uh, uh, because you know it's your home franchise it's but the, uh, when are you kind of uh, you know talk about kkr uh, especially as srs supporters i'm like no kkr is nowhere as bad as you make it seem no but kkr has had i mean it has again I, maybe i am being too harsh on them but they have two trophies it it is true but this these trophies were all 20 for the last one time they won was 2014 right so it's been 6 years and they started off so they had one good auction the auction in which they bought gambhir and yusuf pathan that was the only good auction that they ever had after that they have kept on you know screwing themselves over in every auction you know buying both, both the titles were won by gambhir yeah both the, the titles were won by gambhir right? one year apart yes. and that was the time when they had their best team also because they had a very good auction but after that rather than building upon it they decided to fritter away everything that they had and this was primarily i would say essentially a part of what venki mysore strategy was so before that um when the best auction happened it was joy who was who was the head of the franchise at that point of time it was after that when d- during its height that venki mysore took over and you know the the precipitous downturn that has happened for kkr's fortune is directly linked to when he came on board and it's is it and it shows it shows in the selection in the consistent in the consistent screwing up of their selection and you know the way they choose their captain virtually everything about the about, about the franchise sucks as as a fan um i i would say i mean they don't select any exciting players they don't invest i mean they invest in the you know one one year they will buy both shivam mavi and nagarkoti why do you buy both of them why would you spend money buying two untested under 19 pace bowlers and you see every year there is some guy who plays like ishan porel for instance nobody is putting their you know everything into ishan porel um nobody is putting everything into anukul roy i mean they're no different from them so they they for, for for reasons that are not understood it's not driven by data it's not driven by anything else it is said to go all in on somebody and 
and the multiple captain other people for instance for instance anybody who knows anything about cricket would know that it made absolutely no sense to spend 15 crores on pat cummins when you already had a very similar bowler in the side why would you select pat cummins for 15.5 crores why would you do that and people can say well he you got a few man of the matches no it's not worth 15.5 crores what he did that is not a 15 and, and he was lucky in a way kkr was lucky that the games they had some games in abu dhabi if they were playing in eden gardens with pat cummins then they would have been toast they, they actually did much better they came fifth here because this was played in outside india if they when they did this uh, thing they didn't know about covid right so they selected a team for india and this would have been even worse if this they had played in india they were actually lucky that they went and they had most of their games in abu dhabi otherwise this would have been even worse yes. moving on to the us elections so you had some questions that you wanted to start with or how do you want to do this uh, okay but why don't you start off and i'll rudely interrupt you with questions if it's not okay all right so with the us elections um of course it it, it um i encourage all of you to so i don't want to repeat what i wrote in this really long form piece that i wrote on my blog so oh, lovely I, piece by the way thank you so for those of you who haven't read it i don't want to essentially do a dramatic reading of that <laughs> we will have a link to it on the show notes so uh, you just have to click it on the from the podcast player so for those of you who are wondering where is my big opinion piece on the us elections well i wrote it down because i wanted it to have wider diffusion than this podcast but really what it comes down to and again it is it is not i i would say it's still not 100% sure whether because you know trump is going to he is going to take it to the courts but much of what even the courts decide on is driven by popular opinion and what trump has failed despite his attempt is to get people to come out on the streets and riot in his favor so so far that has not been successful and maybe one of the reasons for that is covid but the fact is there's not a lot of this there's a kind of an acceptance of course leave aside the hardcore republicans and hardcore trumpians i wouldn't say republicans but hardcore trumpians leave them aside and leave the hindu right aside who are even more hardcore than the hardcoreest of trumpians <coughs> but other than them i think uh, even the even the moderate trumpians and people who just voted for trump have come to accept the fact that uh, that joe biden is going to become the president and chennai super queen is going to be uh, the vice president as I, <laughs> as i said well chennai super kings might not have made it this time but chennai super queen sure has so i think that um in terms of in terms of what is going to happen honestly um not much because one of the things that people outside the us political system often don't understand is that the us political system deliberately when the constitution was written it was made in a way such that uh, no one branch of the government could just go ahead and run away um with um the way they want the nation to be so essentially they you know it's 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 anybody who knows a little bit of us history would know this that you know they had something called you know they called it the division of you know the basically the division of power so you have the supreme court 
you have the house and the you have the house and the senate and you have the president and so you have basically three autonomous independent uh equally powerful units of government who essentially serve as a check and balance on each other if two of them try to collude then the third in the third essentially comes and steps in so this has been a system which has worked pretty well and even if you even if you dispassionately look at trump's last four years and this was again a point that i had covered in the in the write up that i did was that trump you know if you can and it's very difficult to do this but if you can keep to the side trump's personal pronouncements you would find that the four years wasn't too different from any other republican president it wasn't revolutionary in any shape or form you had the exact same people who would normally find in a republican administration there you had a a you know a a tax break given to the wealthy and given to industries which is again something which any republican withhold over the presidency and the house and the senate would have done this is not something which is unique to trump um again trump is not Uh, a mathematical or financial wizard that he would have come up with it himself so somebody else definitely came up with it or rather a lot of people came up with it um so in terms of and if you and if you also look at you know he he wasn't able to despite him trying he wasn't able to dismantle obamacare so in terms of what he's achieved you know in terms of when people say he's fundamentally changed the nature of the country no that's hyperbole he hasn't There's nothing he could have done, and that's exactly one of the things about the U.S. government that that you can't do as a president very much. You can't be, I mean, even if an AOC becomes a president or even a Bernie, that was one of the things which Hillary used to say about Bernie, and she was right. Is that Bernie comes out and he says all these things? You know, I'm going to make college tuition. I, I know I'm going to make tuition free for everybody. I'm going to you know have nationalized healthcare, but he knows that he can't do it. anybody who's been in washington dc for the amount of time that he has knows that you cannot push through uh, a reform this fundamental through the american system you just cannot and yet he consciously lies about it knowing fully well to people who don't know any better and so then people turn towards people like us who are trying to be pragmatists who are trying to say look this is what we can do this is what we can't do it's not that we don't think it can it should be done but i'm not going to promise you something which i just know for sure that i will not be able to do and so this is the problem that centrists have with these you know extremists whether it be whether it be bernie or whether it be trump that they will promise even with trump his promise was i will have a i'll have a great healthcare plan to be so great to be so awesome there was nothing um and you can't and that's the very nature of the way us politics is and of course there's a lot of frustration with that but on the balance this is the way a mature democracy should behave in contrast i would say if you look at something like for instance demonetization which i would always say is it was a disaster in retrospect it was a marginal call at that point of time and in retrospect it's a disaster you see if if this was the us and the president wouldn't have been able to go through with something as fundamental as that without consulting the congress he just wouldn't have been able to so no matter what kind of harebrained scheme you know trump might have had or trump let's say rudy would have planted in trump's head or putin would have planted in trump's head. he just couldn't have gone ahead and done it there is a limit to what the president can do through executive orders 
And even if he does an executive order, it can be challenged in the Supreme Court. So, so the point is that even with Biden, um, and that's that, and that is going to be the frustration that many progressives are soon going to find that they will find that this is that nothing much has changed. He's not going to give you free tuition if he's not even going to be able to succeed. He's not even going to be able to succeed in giving a public option for Obamacare. So there will be no government-sponsored healthcare. It's very unlikely. And why is it unlikely? Because the Republicans are most likely going to keep the Senate. And there are two things. One is that um, the moment you have parties split between the House and the Senate and the presidency, you get into deadlock. That's what happened to the latter part of Obama's presidency. Now, in the initial part of Obama's presidency, Obama really had a chance to really push through uh, stuff. He had a majority on the Supreme Court. He had the House and the Senate, and he had the presidency. And yet, yet he couldn't do it. This And now what you have is, on the other hand, what Biden inherits is he inherits uh, a Senate, which is going to be Republican, a House that is going to be Democrat. Um, he's going to be Democratic himself, but you'll have to contend with a Republican supermajority in the Supreme Court. So no matter what he tries to do, if he tries to, let's say, have enhance Obamacare with, let's say, a, what they call a public option, which is really government health care, even as an option, he, he is likely to have it struck down by the Supreme Court even if through some miracle he's able to push it through, which he's unlikely through the Senate. So ultimately what's going to happen is that Biden is not going to be able to do much. And the level-headed people that are out there are saying, yeah, that's true. But what we want now is a, is a return of decency to the White House. And if that is the goal, then yes. There definitely won't be 3 a.m. Uh, retweets of white supremacists, they will definitely- No more kofefe. No kofefe. I mean, no kofefe might happen because in terms of, you know, of, you know, in terms of, I would say malapropisms, uh, Biden is more <laughs> right. better or worse than, than Trump. But he but, probably has a team who tweets for him. I don't think he'll- Yes, be- I think he has a, yes, exactly. So he has a team which tweets for him. So Biden is 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 rational enough to know, you know where his lines lie. So he's not going to tweet um, in the way that Trump does. There's not going to be deranged typing in caps and there's not going to be direct attacks on, you know, people. Those things are not going to happen under under Biden. I think that is, I think that is a given. And I think for many people, the bar has been set so low by Trump that they're saying, okay, even that, even that, I'm that is a huge thing. And that when what would we not give for that? So really, other than that, I don't see that there is going to be any ideological okay. shift. That, in, that in, kind of uh, brings me to my uh, one question which I had. Uh, so, in fact, let me read out both the questions which I had for for you. So, uh, in the short term, so let's say in 2021, what do you expect to change in terms of uh, you know, policy changes, what do you expect to change? Um, in terms of um, policy changes, as I said, let's look at domestic policy. So domestic policy, what I believe is going to happen is there are going to be some cosmetic changes. 
that are going to be done as a way of satisfying some of the the AOC wing of the party. So some of the so the, okay, the, so the easy things. Let me tell you what the some of the low hanging fruits that are going to happen. The first thing that I believe is going to happen is some of the Trump of, and that that's fairly obvious that most of the Trump appointees are going to be kicked out. So of the different agencies, and once that happens, you'll immediately start seeing that policies start changing. For instance, um, Trump gave EPA. Uh, so with the Environmental Protection Agency, he put the guy in charge of it, who was a climate change denier, okay, and who's consistently throughout his life has has lobbied to basically kill the EPA. So basically, he put people in charge of the agencies who wanted to kill those agencies. So uh, the first person he put as head of EPA was uh, was Rick Perry, who during his presidential debate had said this was one of the agencies he would abolish. So. These things will obviously be rolled back. So the immediately when you have these things rolled back, and what the Democrats will do, and that is one of the things which they are good at, is they will put they will put liberal left wing true, but they will put people in charge who are who know the topic that they are being put in charge of. So um, uh, so that's in that's somewhat similar to let's say the way the BJP government does things. So the BJP government, when it wants to put somebody in charge of the film institute, they put you, you the guy who used to play Yudhishthir. <laughs> right. Yudhishthir and also star in like softcore, uh, really, really, really softcore stuff as the head. While let's say a, a Congress government would perhaps put somebody like Girish Karnat. Now Girish Karnat is obviously an ideological, you know, he's, he's obviously ideologically compromised, but at least he's a good actor. At least he knows what he's. At least when he's a film institute, yeah, he knows what films are. You know, he's he. You, you cannot, or even Nasiruddin Shah. You know, you cannot say that. You know, in terms of his knowledge of the subject, that there's something which is lacking. No, that is not the case. This is exactly what's going to happen under the republic under the Democrats. You'll have people who are going to be put in charge, who will definitely be aligned with their ideology, but who will actually be experts in the field. And when this happens, what happens is, you see, in a country like US and in any country, it's ultimately change happens not from the president. The president is usually a figurehead. It's the people he appoints that actually do the change. It's really the head of the EPA who has a huge influence in what the environmental policy is going to be. It is somebody like Anthony Fauci, for instance, who would, who would have had and influence on the way the U.S. reacts to a pandemic. So the immediate things you'll see in one of the first things that he said that he's going to have a 12-member board, you know, overseeing this pandemic response. So you will find on the 12-member board that there will be the people who will be on that board. None of them will be people you can point to and laugh and say, <laughs> "What is this guy doing on the board?" Oh no, this guy is on the board just because he used to play a doctor in some reality show that Trump used to see. So that is what <laughs> would happen under Trump. So these things will not happen under Democrats. You'll find competent people sitting there who you know have who have the academic chops to handle what they're being asked to do. So that is going to be a good thing. Second thing is in terms of policy, um, what I don't think that they're going to it, possibly the Trump tax cuts. They might not. They might roll that back. So that might happen again. I'm not sure it will. Because even within Democrats, they, they they also are in the pockets of big business. So it's not that they're 
especially the centrist wing. Um, they're not they're not Bernie. Um, so that might happen. I don't see that there will be a public option. I don't think that healthcare is going to fundamentally change. They might make some modifications on Obamacare, but I doubt. I doubt it. I, I mean, I'm absolutely positive that there will not be uh, an abolishing of private insurance and essentially a single payer system. That I'm absolutely positive cannot happen in the U.S. unless you know, if you talk, if you listen to AOC and all these people, they're talking about a fundamental change in the way the U.S. is run. So they first, their main thing is to first get rid of the electoral college. So to make sure that the president has overwhelming mandates from the coastal regions. Second thing that they want to do is they want to, you know, essentially get, um, you know, get uh, governors, democratic governors in. And the first thing that they want them to do is to essentially gerrymander the districts so that the districts are redrawn and the Republicans have done it. So it's not that it's their new game, but to basically gerrymander the districts back to a place where essentially it becomes virtually impossible for Republicans to get selected into the House and the Senate. Um, so they want those kinds of changes. And once they basically have control over at least two, if not three of the independent branches of government, that's when they want to push through. Because, that, because they know that that is the only way they can fundamentally change the nature of the country. Otherwise, they can't. Um, and, you know, Hillary's counter to it is, <laughs> well, dears, how are you going to even make all of that other things that you talked about happen? These are all pies in the sky. So come down to earth and talk about something which is practical. Um, and so that has been, that has been the centrists, that has been the centrist view. So again, coming back, I don't think that, um, I don't think healthcare is going to undergo a fundamental change. I think there might be some uh, taxation changes. Um, I'll definitely, I'm positive there will be uh, a, at least a committee on reparations. This will be uh, this will be one of the SOPs to their uh, progressive base. And again, again, making a committee doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that will be something which will be a low impact a thing to do that he can show uh, for the next election. Other than that, I don't. I mean, he obviously he's going to go back to the World Health Organization and the he's Paris. Uh, yes, he's going to go back to Paris Accord. He's going to. He's, oh, those things. Those things don't require much. And they, and they probably will not change thing. anything for the average American. Yeah, those yeah. won't change anything for the average American. So, as I said, my focus was on what will change for the average American. So those yeah, things. Yeah which Trump basically with one signature, he said, I'm withdrawing with another signature, Biden will unsign that signature. So those things are very easy for him to do. But fundamental reforms in the US medical system or gun control, for instance, they're not going to be able to do anything. They're going to do jack squat. So uh, see, one of the major, uh, in fact, the points which you had raised during the Trump administration was his attack on the on legal immigration. Do you expect that to be uh, reversed in uh, Biden? Yes. Yes. So with Biden, see, Biden is with with Biden, he is going to revert to what it was in the Obama era. So 
one of the things about Trump was that it wasn't just that he was trying to restrict legal immigration. In many ways, his hands were also tied because you can't again fundamentally change the immigration structure of the country without going through Congress. So what his stooges were doing was they were taking every letter of the law and some of these things they even lost in court, for instance. They had a decent reversal in a, in, in, in a court. But they were trying to make things as difficult and as humiliating as possible. For instance, during COVID, they decided to get rid of uh, the people who were processing green cards. So, you know, if people who were waiting for green cards for 15 years, that became like 25 years. So that they are well within their right to do. They'll just say, we're not going to pay these guys. So that's the kind of thing that they, they, they didn't have um, the numbers to essentially pass laws, but they essentially did, you know, these kinds of small things here and there. And this happens when you have Trump stooges running these agencies. See, that's what I said. That's why I started out by saying, once you remove those guys from these agencies, this thing automatically follows. Okay, See, this then let me flip this around. Uh, what, I mean, apart from the entertainment, of course, what will you miss policy-wise from the Trump uh, administration? I personally won't miss anything because I don't think that any of the policy moves that Trump made, other than the tax cuts, there was really nothing that Trump, other than tax tax cuts and some, um, you know, withdrawing US from uh, from Paris and from WHO. There's really nothing that Trump did. Nothing else. I mean, everything else was all talk. Nothing else. So okay, so the, if it is all talk, then why all this outrage? I mean, there must, I mean, obviously oh, talk, talk matters. Is, talk matters, matters a lot, but yeah. Talk matters. I mean, the, all the outrage is because of the talk. It all, I mean, in COVID-19. Okay, so let's look at his handling of COVID-19. What did Trump fundamentally do that was terrible? Well, if you look at it, yeah, one of the things he did was that, and this again is not specifically Trump. Any Republican would have done it. See, most Republicans follow this Reagan vision of uh, the government is the problem. So they want to cut down the size of the government. And they usually what they want to cut. So their main thing is that in order for industry, in order for private initiative to flourish, you need to get rid of regulations and you need to cut down on government. So what happens is cutting down regulations is difficult because regulations are laws. And once laws are passed, to unpass a law, you need to go through the exact same process. So what they do is rather than changing the law, as I said, they basically cut down the resources that are needed to implement the law. So that's equivalent to not, so the law stays on the book. There's just nobody to enforce it. So you don't change the speed limits on the road. You just take away the cop cars. You just don't pay for the gas for the cop cars. That's it. That's pretty much make sure that everybody's driving at 100 miles an hour. So that's really what the Republicans do. And that's all that Trump essentially did. Now, coming back to COVID-19, what was his mishandling? The mishandling, one part of it was that he removed all this infrastructure that the U.S. had in terms of they had put into place kind of an advanced warning system for something like this. That when something is happening, you send U.S. inspectors. That you don't depend on China. 
to effectively tell you what's going on. So you invest in a massive, it, it involves the CIA, it involves to actually find out what is going on. You don't trust the government to tell you about a pandemic. And then you have a response system within the government, which basically mobilizes the government before a major pandemic is going to hit. Now, one of the things which Trump did was he, and again, any Republican president would likely have done this. So it's not just a Trump thing. This is a Republican thing. He basically defunded all of those guys. So when this thing came, there was no, there was basically, there was no, there was no army at the gates at that point of time. Now, where Trump did wrong, which was reason why people lost their lives and the why I repeatedly said that, you know, people died because of him is because of what he said. It wasn't because of his policy, but because day in and day out, he used the pulpit of the presidency to say that COVID-19 is a hoax. Nothing will happen. It will go away on its own. You can have bleach. It is being magnified. Fauci is an enemy, you know. Last Steve Ballon said you should behead Fauci and put his head on a spike. So this is, it's all talk. It's the wrong talk because you see the main thing about a president ultimately when it comes down to it is he's really a brand ambassador, right? It's, I mean, his, the role of a president, when you say that Churchill inspired uh, the you know no matter what a douchebag he was and what a racist he was that he inspired or that Roosevelt inspired what did he do he said words you know that's the main thing he said the right things and that's really and Trump said all the wrong things so that's really what the legacy of Trump is ultimately the president does how much does the president do not much I mean Obama didn't go and find where Osama bin Laden was hiding or didn't put a bullet in his head right he did neither of them. But what Obama did was that when he came out, you know, he he made, you know, he gave a nice speech or something. You know, there's a very there's a, there's a viral video where they compare Trump announcing the assassination of uh, oh yes, of hilarious one <laughs> with Obama, and you can see you can see the difference where one person almost makes it a comic thing. He, he you know, if anybody sees it, you will start laughing at the end. And here's a person who makes it sound serious. This is America meaning business. And you, you fucked with us. Well, guess what? We fucked with you now. So that's that's Obama. Then and Trump is, you know, they came to the door. It was a like big door. It was, and 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 it's you just, think they knocked the door, but they don't. <laughs> yes, you think they knocked the door. They don't. So you know this this whole disposition. This is really what the president is. The president is U.S.'s brand ambassador to the world and to itself. So it's really all about the talk. It's nothing else. Fair enough. Uh, so, okay. One last question, though, if, if you still have the time. Uh, sure. During the uh, Bush, George W. Bush era, uh, it was said that, you know, it was, uh, uh, who was your vice president? I forgot his name, uh, Dick Cheney. That mm-hmm. It was him behind the scenes all the time. I mean, uh, and again, I see, uh, you know, quite a few people on Twitter saying that uh, given Joe Biden's age, effectively the president would be Kamala Harris. So uh, do you see any uh, truth to, the, to, to that? See, it's not a question of uh, his age. It's the kind of person that Biden is. See, Biden is never, if you look at his career, he's never really, he's like a Deepak Tijori kind of character. I mean, he <laughs> needs a Rahul Roy. I, I, okay, I really want to see how this goes. <laughs> 
so he's like a second in command you know with 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 obama you would find that you know he ran as a presidential campaign candidate against obama where he got his ass beat ass beat so he cannot he is not a person he's a very solid i mean in america they call him he's a wingman so wingman is when you go on a date and you're going to go on a bar and you want to you know you know pick up uh, people of the opposite gender your wingman is there basically to help you get that the wingman is doesn't himself you know essentially get laid but the wingman is there to kind of say you know look at you know what a handsome guy this is and you know so that's really what a wingman is um and he's that guy he is not he's not the main person and the reason why he succeeded against trump was that in a way psychologically people did not want another alpha against trump they wanted a deepak tijori they wanted that kind of a guy and i think that even as a president he one thing is his age but even if this was biden 20 years ago i nobody would say that biden is a natural leader biden because with, with the president you have to have that there is an element of the cult with any president you know with obama there is a part of that you know for for narendra modi there has to be somebody who likes you as a person as i said the president is a figurehead in many respects just like an indian prime minister is yes right. sure he ultimately makes a call but ultimately his success is through how much he communicates and that's why manmohan singh and that's why people get frustrated maybe manmohan singh is a better prime minister perhaps than narendra modi but you know he can't communicate he did zero communication that's why narendra modi is winning election after election and that's what gets people you know that's what liberals can't understand they get you know why is it why is it the case that rahul gandhi is such a moron and such a clown because when he opens his mouth nothing worth listening to comes out of it that's the big problem i mean is he i mean how do we know that rahul gandhi is any more or less competent than let's say uh paswan son right we don't except that when paswan's son speaks he doesn't speak like an idiot you know, listen to him say yeah this is okay even even lalu yadav's son is okay when it comes to speaking and that's really all that he needs to do that's really all that he needs to do. he doesn't need to do do anything more but even there rahul gandhi sucks See, he can't even do that properly because nobody expects rahul gandhi to be a political mastermind or to be a policy wonk nobody expects a leader to be that so it doesn't really matter the the great thing about narasimha rao which i've said before was that narasimha rao put the right guy in the right place he made manmohan singh the prime minister where the, the finance minister where he could actually make an impact and he made himself the prime minister sonia gandhi did the exact opposite he put him in the position in which he would fail intentionally because he was a, because she is afraid that if anybody succeeds then that is a problem with rahul gandhi so she will put somebody who will say fail there so she puts people in places so that they can fail and in doing so fail the country just because of her son that's what makes congress such a cancer to this country not anything else not because they're inordinately more corrupt than any other political dynasty all the politicians are corrupt it's like splitting hairs at that point of time but very few people are so self absorbed that they will do this what the congress consistently does so 
coming back to biden again this is not about india in in this in this episode but coming back to biden the thing is that he will ultimately be i don't think it's so much kamala but he will ultimately be ruled by a set of people in the background yes and i don't think that he is too much of a strong personality to make himself be the center of everything he's never been that kind of a guy he's always been very good as a backup guy but he's not the guy at the front i don't think so kamala might be kamala might be a bigger influence than most vps are especially i believe that kamala will be his outreach to the progressive wing of the party that i know so she will kind of be the mouthpiece of the ilhan omars and, and and that group because it's obviously not going to be nancy pelosi so she's ultimately going to be important in that respect but in terms of who will be calling the policy positions i think it will be based on the team that he assembles for instance with obama many people felt it was ram emanuel who was one of the guys who initially called a lot of made a lot of policy calls um with respect to trump for instance it was steve bannon um who made a lot of the policy calls now the reason why steve bannon fell out with trump was essentially because steve bannon said that trump's son should be charged for treason because of his collusion with russia and of course was one thing that trump understands is any attack on him or his genetic material um so that's why he lost his job but other than that in that I mean that's true in any white house so again when with bush it was it was cheney but it was also rumsfeld um that used to call the shots um right. in, in the white house in in those days all right so uh, is that our episode for today yes that is our episode for today okay so that's a wrap and uh, i love this one i have to say and uh, i hope uh, you did too uh we'll have a link to arnab's blog post that he referred to though i suspect most of us who listen to this have probably already read it at least once but you will have the link to it in the show notes along with uh, the videos that we referred to of course uh, you, you should check out especially the video of uh, trump disc- uh, describing the al baghdadi uh, attack uh, yeah anyway so thanks for listening and uh, until next time take care bye 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 bye